Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word that you have recorded for us in the scriptures. Father, it is good, it is right, it is the best. So Lord, would you open our minds, our hearts, open our lives to what you want to say. And we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to say hello to you who are watching in the community center and those of you who are watching online. Sometimes things don't turn out the way we hoped they would in life, do they? You ever been in that place? A pastor who just married a young couple had this last word for the bride. He said, God bless you. You are at the end of all your troubles. So about a year later, she made an appointment in the pastor's office and there uh, was talking with him about the year that she just had, just kind of grieving over it and saying, you know, this marriage has not turned out the way that I'd hoped and you were the man that said I was at the end of all my troubles. Well, he smiled and he said, yes, I did. I just didn't say which end. <laughs> well, some things don't turn out the way that we'd hoped. Over the last several weeks, we've been looking at uh, the ordinary, uh, the, the way God has used David's ordinary life to do extraordinary things. Uh, we have, uh, and prior to this passage, uh, David has been anointed the future king of Israel. <clears throat> it's just that David is on the run. He's running for his life from the one man that stood between him and the throne. David and his men, as we come to the context of this particular passage, uh, David and his men are, are hiding in a cave from King Saul who wants to kill them. Now think about that for a moment. The future king of Israel is in a cave, not in a palace, he's in a cave. Now most of us here this morning know what it's like to be in a cave. When life does not turn out the way that it was supposed to, the way that it is supposed to, when someone you, betra uh, someone you trusted betrayed you or let you down and the weight of that disappointment, uh, you've been experiencing that ever since they did that to you. Or when you unexpectedly became the object of unfair criticism or when you were denied a promotion that you were clearly qualified for or when you receive the shocking news that your health or the health of the one that you love the most is really bad. We all know what it is like when life does not turn out the way that it is supposed to, the way we planned when we are in a cave. And maybe you don't feel like you're in a cave today, but maybe you've been there. Or maybe you feel like your life is headed in that direction. None of us expects to, to be in a cave. But caves show us how fragile life is and how ultimately just out of control we are, how, how little control we have over the people and the circumstances that, that got us to the cave. But one thing we do have, we do have control over ourselves, over our, over our own actions, over our own decisions, over our own thoughts. You see, what's important is what happens in the cave. That's what's most important. It's there that your character gets transformed and your true nature is revealed when you're in the cave. So David came to a series of decisions, as we all do, about what he was going to do in the cave. And the first decision David faced in the cave was a decision on whether or not he should just quit. 
Because sometimes we'd rather just give up, throw in the towel, call it quits. It's easier that way. David could have just stayed in the cave, right? He could have just stayed there. Let Saul walk out, get on his horse, ride off. Then David would disband his men. He'd go off into some foreign country, change his identity, and permanently avoid the calling and the purpose that God had for him. David could have just called it quits. It's easier to quit. It kind of goes like this. This marriage or this relationship is just too hard for me. I had no idea I was committing to stick around for this. Surely God has someone or something better for me. Or helping raise this family is uh, it's more than I bargained for. I'm an important guy. I've got a big kind of job. I need more to life than this, so I'm out of here. Or trying to watch my diet is just too much. I'm trying to be careful, but high cholesterol foods, they, they just taste too good, right? I, I could just cheat a little bit. I'll take a little extra medication, sort of double up on that. That'll take care of everything. It's easier to quit, right? It's just easier to throw in the towel. David could have done that, but quitting would have meant missing out on the adventure God had for him as Israel's future king. And all the ways God would join, or David would join with God in his rescue operation to the world. David was the king who brought all the tribes of Israel together as one nation. David was the king that formed the center for government and worship in Jerusalem, which, still, uh, which has helped shape the Christian church uh, even today. David was the one that made the plans and gathered the materials for the building of the temple. And David was the one that wrote the songs and the psalms that were used in worship that are still being used today, 3,000 years later. Not a bad ride, huh? But if David would have quit, some of you here today or who are watching online, you have been thinking about quitting on your marriage or on uh, your family or on, on uh, a ministry that you've been involved in or maybe on a dream that God has given you. Don't give up. Don't give up on them. Don't give up on your dream. Don't give up on you. Giving, or giving up, it starts a pattern of giving up that can begin to steer the course of our lives. Because when we give up, it, it just becomes a little bit easier the next time to give up, and then the next time, and then the next time, and then the next time until our life feels like a dresser drawer full of missed opportunities and adventures. So don't quit. Don't give up. The second decision David faced that day in the cave was whether or not to give in to the human impulse to get revenge. Uh, you know, to, to pay Saul back and get rid of him once and for all. He could have done that, David. Now, my friend, who I will call Larry, Larry and I were golfing one afternoon, and uh, Larry had been giving me a, a lot of grief about some shots that I'd made the last time Larry and I had been out golfing. I tried to convince Larry that I really did try to hit the window of that house that was by the fairway, <laughs> but Larry wasn't buying it. And underneath this apparently casual appearance that I project, is a deeply competitive person that hates to lose and suck at anything. So uh, 
I have learned to mask my competitiveness with a, with a somewhat passive-aggressive style, which I call, don't get mad, get even. <laughs> so as we were golfing, and unbeknownst to my friend Larry, I was just looking for the right opportunity to get him back. Well, as it so happened that uh, while I was looking for my ball, which of course I meant to hit in the bushes, uh, I found another ball which had been almost cut in half. But further examination showed that it was possible to place that ball on the ground uh, and for it to look entirely normal. Except I know, and now you knew, know, that uh, the ball was fatally flawed. Perfect for my friend Larry. <laughs> well, my moment came. Larry was having trouble on one particular hole. He topped the ball on consecutive shots, uh, wasn't very happy about it, and maybe my laughter wasn't helping either. Well, uh, at one point, Larry was having a discussion with one of his golf clubs, and in the middle of that heated discussion, I, I made the swap, swapped out his ball for the flawed ball. Well, as Larry approached the ball, I, I encouraged him like a good friend should, you know. I, I said, don't give up, buddy. You're due, you know. You're just one shot away. I, and, 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 and I know it's coming. This is it. I feel it. Well, Larry lined up over that ball, and he took a backswing that looked like he was going to hit that ball 300 yards. He came down on the ball and whack. That ball exploded into a bunch of different pieces in different directions. He didn't know what was going on. It was one of the funniest things that I've ever seen on a golf course. <laughs> but not quite as funny as Larry's reaction, which I will edit for church purposes. <laughs> Mission accomplished. It took him a while, but Larry finally figured it out. Maybe that's why he hasn't asked me to play golf with him again. <laughs> Don't get mad. Get even. The second decision David faced that day in the cave was whether or not to get even, to pay Saul back, to get rid of his problem once and for all. But impulses are unreliable guides for getting us to anywhere that we feel is worth going to. The human impulse in situations where we've been wronged is, is to pay the other person back, avenge ourselves, get even. But the goal is really never to get even, is it? Right? The, the goal is never to get even because the purpose of revenge is about hurting the other person just a little bit more than they hurt us or to develop a, a little more devious scheme than, they, than the one they used on us just so that we can show that they should not have messed with us. No one ever stops it even. What goes around comes around and around and around it goes. Some of us here may be on the threshold of a major decision about what we're going to do about a person or a situation that's in our life. Our impulse is just to get rid of it, to take out our sword and take care of that problem once and for all. For others of us, uh, we're in danger of going a little more indirect route, you know, casting a shadow of suspicion on the other person's character or, or saying the things that call into question their integrity damaging their reputation by gossiping about them in such a way that they look bad in front of a jury of their friends, undermining the other person's performance in some way or misrepresenting something they said or something that they have done. See, vengeance comes in all shapes and sizes. And our words and our actions are just as lethal as a sword. 
because they have the power to kill someone's integrity, to destroy their reputation, to cut down their character. If David would have pulled out his sword on that day instead of his scissors, if he would have murdered Saul right there and then, he would have betrayed everything that was in him. The joy, the peace, the love, the sense of adventure of being one of God's children, he would have betrayed all of that and given it up for a, for a darkness or for an evil that would have changed the course of his life forever and maybe even kept him from obtaining the greater purpose that God had for him as future king. And we run the same risk. We run the same risk when we give in to that human impulse to revenge. So what are you having a hard time releasing this morning? Who are you having a hard time forgiving? What memory, what person, what situation do you need to let go of today? For Jesus' sake and for your sake, surrender. Let it go. God is the ultimate judge anyway. Well, the last decision that David faced that day in the cave was whether or not to do good. The first decision was whether or not to, to give up. And the second decision was whether or not to give into that human impulse to seek revenge, to just get rid of his problem once and for all. And the third, the third decision David faced that day in the cave was the decision of whether or not to do good, especially to someone who didn't deserve it. Now, you would think that David's decision to not take revenge would have been enough. You'd think that for David, just letting Saul walk out of the cave, get on his horse and ride off, you'd think that would have been enough for David. But one of the things that makes this story just so amazingly interesting and so surprising is that that wasn't enough for David. That verse 8 tells us in that passage, it tells us that David went out of the cave, called out to Saul, and then David bowed down. David, David prostrated himself with his face to the ground, signaling that David was committed to the good thing. David was committed to loyalty uh, and uh, to the care of King Saul. By bowing and prostrating himself, David showed uh, Saul and everyone else who was there that day that they had nothing to fear. They had nothing to fear from David. And as a result of his good gesture, what could have been a really messy day that day, surprisingly, miraculously, became a day of peace. It ended in peace. Because David, because David did more than restrain himself. Because David did the good thing. And because David did the good thing, God was able to do the miraculous thing, the extraordinary thing. Now, a few weeks ago, my wife and I flew down to Santa Barbara to uh, celebrate my birthday, and uh, we were there for the weekend. One evening, we happened to be uh, on our way to a grocery store, uh, about to walk into the grocery store, and passed by a guy who was sort of rummaging through the garbage outside the grocery store. Well, uh, he'd taken the hood of his sweatshirt and sort of pulled it over the top of him as if, you know, as if he was trying to hide or something. Well, I went over and I, I spoke to him. I, I asked him if he'd like a sandwich. He said, sure. And then he said, but you know what I would really like? He said, I would really like a cup of soup. 
could you, could you get me a cup of soup? I'd really like a cup of hot soup. Well, I, I confess I didn't have a great attitude about the soup. I, I was kind of, I don't know, I was in a hurry. I knew where the large hero sandwiches were in the, in the, uh, in the grocery store. Uh, and searching for some hot soup, for some reason, felt like an inf- inconvenience. And I don't know what was up with me. Uh, but I, I went into the store, and, and as I went in, I, I just felt convicted. You know, I felt guilty. It's like, you know, buying this guy a cup of soup, that, that's the least thing that I could do for him. And sure enough, the store had, had soup. So I, so I bought the soup and put it in a bag with some crackers and a spoon. And, and I got the sandwich and put it in the bag. And now I'm kind of getting excited. You know, I can't wait to give this guy the bag with the soup and show him that I got the soup. You know, so I go outside and I hand it to him and tell him about the soup. And then you know what he did? He smiled. He just gave me this big smile. It was a beautiful smile. He missing a few teeth, but he had a great smile. And then, and then he asked me this question. He, he asked me, do you want my change? Wow. You know, I, I think, what, why is this guy on the street? What did he do to deserve that? And he's standing there, and all he's got is a clothes on his back, and... Uh, he has no place to live, and he's rummaging through someone else's scraps for food. And, and he wants to give me the little bit that's in his pocket to pay me back for the little bit that I had just spent on him. Wow. So I, you know, I, kinda, I told him, no, you know, keep your change and you know, spend it on something that you really need. And I said a few words of blessing over him, and then... You know, I walked my way and he walked his. We're in two separate directions. I will never forget that guy. And I will, I will never forget his smile. And I will never forget the question that he asked me. I had just gone over there to do some good, to hand him a sandwich, to get him some soup. But really, who did good to who? Who changed whom on that day? That's the extraordinary thing about it, doing good. No matter what has been going on in your life, no matter what got you in the cave, the disappointment you might feel, the anger and the resentment that you may have against the ones who who drove you there, the truth about the cave is that that is never the end of your story because your story is part of a larger story. It's part of God's story. That when you said yes to Jesus, you became part of God's story, a bigger story. And God's story doesn't end with death and and laid to rest in a cave. Because three days later, Jesus rose from the dead. And because he lives, there is nothing, not trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or danger or sword. There's not angels or demons or life or death or anything in all of creation that will keep us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. That is our hope. Hope that our present circumstances are not our future circumstances. Hope that the way our life is now will not be the way it's always going to be for eternity. Hope that life in the cave will one day be life in the palace. So do not cave in. Don't give up. And don't you give in to the human impulse to seek revenge. Do good instead, as often as you can, anywhere you can, as long as you have this life this side of heaven. 
because that's the stuff that transforms our character and reveals our true nature. That's the stuff that takes an ordinary life and makes it extraordinary. So our Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the gift of Christ. We thank you for the life that you have given us in him. A life that isn't just pie in the sky somewhere down the road, but a life that is here for us now. A life that gives us hope, even when we are in the midst of dark circumstances. So Lord Jesus, help us not to cave in. Help us to stay true to you. And Lord, to see the hope realized in our lives. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.